So for this next part of the show, it's a relatively new segment. Earlier on in the week, I had Frax and Darwin in the studio. Over the phone, should I say, actually, obviously social distancing. But we were in the studio together and we did the interview for the radio show. Things escalated a little bit and we came up with a little bit more content than we thought we would. So this is episode one of Chatting Shit with Double Drop. So obviously, as I said, Frax and Darwin are my first guests on this more chatty interview style, just sit down in chat shit podcast, really. So how's it going, guys? Yeah, good, man. All right, all right. How are you? Oh, guys, honestly, see if you want to test a relationship with your partner. Move house. I suggest move house and build flat pack together because there's there's nothing more frustrating than having to do that that I've encountered yet. Like, I thought diving into music production was frustrating, but this past week has just been a complete nightmare. I'm sitting in a half-built studio and missing half my stuff, but we're there, so. Flat pack furniture's no fun for anybody, mate. Nobody nobody likes a flat pack furniture set. Flat pack, the, the danger in relationships. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it, it should it should come as a warning on the box. Like it's it's ridiculous. Do not do it together. Yeah. <laughs> Marriages have ended if there's one screw missing from an IKEA wardrobe, you know? Like people are just <laughs> You lost oh, it, they were all here before. We we didn't even go like IKEA, we went down market just to save money. It was like home bargains or something like that. The wood's falling apart, like oh <laughs> The the wardrobe's up though, that's the main thing. So how long it stays up for is that's that's not down to me. <laughs> <laughs> Been a long weekend though, eh? Oh, it has. But enough flat pack and moving house because quite frankly I've had enough of it. Uh let's get into some music chat. So firstly, welcome back to the show. I think we worked out it was about nine months ago that we had you on prior. Yeah, it feels like a lot longer ago than that actually. When we were putting the music and that together, I was kinda like, oh well, you know, definitely everything we've done in the last year, um, we won't have played. And then I looked back and it was like, I think it's at the end of May, so yeah, about nine months. It was literally just as Hardcore Heaven was coming out, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And speaking of Hardcore Heaven, I wanted to ask this the last time that we chatted, but obviously we went on for that long, I completely forgot. With Hardcore Heaven and everything like that, last time I asked you how you guys decide how to choose who mixes the second disc of the album. Now, with COVID and stuff like that, and people putting in a bit of a harder graft and some people sitting back and not doing so much, how's that worked for you guys deciding on who you would maybe want on the next Hardcore Heaven album? And also, is there actually even going to be one this year? I should have probably had. Um, well, luckily, um, we've been sort of saved from having to make that decision because the one that we did do this time um, last year, well, sorry, May, we just said it was nine months ago. Um, it's still early for me. <laughs> um, yeah, we've been absolved because that was kind of all decided like long before um, the, the pandemic and stuff. and. Um, obviously we've been lucky enough to be able to take uh, the Hardcore Heaven brand 
been involved in taking that to um, to America a couple of times, and so the, the plan was basically that we would take the people who we were going to have involved in the album out there to kind of help promote the album. So that's that was kind of all arranged. And that album, I mean, I think Jack B and uh, Max were working on that album like a good three or four months before um, before we even announced wow. it. Yeah, they were kind of like. Because um, obviously they're great; they're both brilliant producers, and we rate them highly. And uh, you know, everybody we've worked with, um, we, we rate very highly, and have wanted involved in the project. But um, by Jack's own admission, particularly, he was like, "I don't want to rush this. Like, I write kind of things are ready when they're ready, so that as much time, you know, as you can give me as possible, really." So we kind of like we planned that like really early, and then just chipped away at it. And um, yeah, and we haven't um, we haven't put forward. A firm plan for what's going to happen with it next, uh, just yet. Purely because everything's just up in the end. Yeah, yeah. I think it will happen when and when and where we don't just we don't know because obviously, like I said, you need with all of that's going on, you almost need to sit down and sort of have a, a big discussion about the bigger picture, not just the album itself, but where what, what we're going to tie it with, or whether you know the American thing was. It's good, and it was looking really, really good until COVID kicked in. Yeah, yeah. You know, there would have been bigger plans at that point if COVID never happened. Well, we, uh, there's no secret. We were going to do New Year's Eve last year, yeah. um, 2020 into 2021. That was going to be the thing. Like we had a hold on the venue and everything, um, but obviously things went the way they did, and it became clear by sort of the spring that things weren't going back to normal by Christmas. So we've kind of had to put a hold on all of that. Um, but yeah, I mean the albums. We do still want to do stuff with the brand and that. It's just a question of, like Nick said, like tying it in to something. And at the moment, everything's so kind of up in the air. Um, I mean, not not there's anything wrong with putting a compilation out and you know filling it with new music that nobody's had a chance to dance to yet. That's kind of like what you know it's supposed to be about showcasing a lot of the new music. That's that's part of it. So it doesn't matter that things necessarily haven't been played in clubs, but. I don't know, it just kind of feels like a wasted opportunity to sort of push the music and, and the album and the sort of concept of it all if we've got no events to yeah. kind of kind of play it. It all helps, it all works on it, it all feeds on each other and that's what made, made that's what makes great music I suppose really good in the long run because you know, when you've got albums and then you've got events happening and the music on the albums are playing at the event and people hear it they're able to go and get that music and actually enjoy it in the comfort of their own home and still be involved in that scene outside of that rave and then vice versa when they want to, when there's a rave coming up and they've got that album and there's a few of those artists that are playing at those events and the DJs are playing they they might feel that sort of urge to go oh I really want to go to that event because I'm going to hear this tune hopefully and this yeah. Tune. Yeah. yeah and it's kind of like that's kind of what helps the scene grow in the long run you know we kind of need kind of need more of that really yeah definitely um we could, that would be good if we if we got to the point where you know everything sort of started opening up and we had some clarity on where we all stand as artists and, and, and promoters and all sorts we might be able to sort of go right now this is the time to do an album because obviously people are really excited about going out now and they're really excited about the scene you know without this backdrop and we can kind of go right this is probably a good time to do an album you know who's doing what yeah. Making what? I mean, it's yeah. kind of been kind of in the same thing with um, with doing another Fraxton Darwin artist album, which we've wanted mm. to do for a while. But part and parcel of that, we've always approached them slightly differently to everything else, and we've always 
every time we do a new album, we kind of want to try and step it up and try and do it, you know, better than we did before and try and make the absolute most of it. But part and parcel of doing that has been always like making the music and playing it in the clubs. And then from the sort of pool of things that we've made or sort of works in progress and that, we kind of narrow that down to like what's going to go on the album. But obviously we can't tour anywhere. We can't play anywhere. And whilst I'm sure we could put together like 14 or 15 tracks, um, you know, quite happily in just sat in the studio, it just kind of feels like it's sort of not really making the most of the project if we just do it now while there's no gigs to play the music at. So that's that's purely why that's sort of like not materialised either, really. I mean, we've got things that we're working on. We've got things that we've done. Obviously, we've done a lot of, of releases anyway over the last year. But, you know, just like when you, you do something like that, that you kind of want to tie into everything and help it and have like, you know, showcase sets at events and stuff. It just seems it's, it's really hard to sort of plan for that when there's no clarity at all. Yeah, I think something like an like an album, especially like one like Hardcore Heaven or something like that, it is good to have the event to run alongside with it. It's almost like, oh, I can get excited for the event, I can hear the new tunes, and I can go buy the album, and it all it all ties in. And like you said, with advertising it and everything, it works really well. But you touched there on you just wanted to do something at New Year's Eve now. I was scrolling through Facebook and I can't remember who it was, but they posted it was an old flyer of one of you guys from 2009 or something like that. The lineup was absolutely stacked. I can't remember exactly who was on it, but once COVID's over and done with, or is promoting and like setting up your own events, is that something that you guys would maybe want to consider getting back into? I mean, Gav's more so, because obviously you've been a backbone of a lot of the, the hardcore underground ones anyway, um, in the past, but I don't know, I'd, 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 I would love to be promoting, but obviously I've never really done it personally on my own. Oh, it's a stress. It's, it's, um, it's a hard one, really, because <clears throat> on one level, I feel like, you know, we've, we've all changed a lot in the last 10, 15 years from, from who we were in terms of, like, lessons that we've learned and stuff like that and and the kind of way that we've approached things i mean you said yourself there you saw a flyer um and the lineup was stacked and that was something we always pretty much tried to do with the hardcore underground events um but that's also the reason that i don't think we ever made any money in fact while i know we didn't <laughs> every single event um that we ever ran um ended up in some kind of financial loss for us um yeah. and for the company and it, it it was always basically a kind of appendage to the albums and the brand and stuff like that. You know, we always kind of viewed it as, well, you know, we might not make any money, but, you know, this is going to help to push the Hulk Underground brand and it's helping to give the artists whose music we're trying to, you know, promote a platform and for people to see people. Someone like Entity, for example, is a great DJ. You know, we've put out a lot of his music over the years and yet he doesn't seem to get a great deal of support in the UK. Um, so, you know, a lot of people miss out on seeing somebody like that on the right kind of platform. So the, the HU events were always kind of about, well, we'll put those people front and centre and try and, you know, so people can see that this music and these artists do work on a main stage and stuff just as well as anybody else and people who get a lot of love from the main um, promoters or the more regular promoters. So, yeah, I mean, like we've, we have been involved in things. Obviously, like I said, we were involved in doing Hardcore Heaven, Nick and I, um, in, in America and... We've done some joint events with with Wizkid, which was good. That was only a couple of years ago. Uh, we've done some little tour nights with people. Um, 
I don't know, like I do, um, we do enjoy putting the, the projects together, but at the same point, they are massively stressful and yeah. financially um, precarious and like, you know, there's like been- Financially draining. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's been a few things in the past we've done where we really have kind of stepped up what we've been doing. I mean, we're going back a good few years now, but um, you know, we've lost some serious amounts of money and it's caused all sorts of problems in terms of um, the fallout, you know, like we did an event in Coventry in 2014, which just, I mean, it was to all intents and purposes, it was successful, but at the cost of a great deal of our own resources. And it kind of set us back really for about 12 months um, in terms of what activity we could do. It took us a long time to pay off the debts and, and stuff like that. And it's kind of, um, yeah, it's... It's hard to know how things are going to go when when stuff does go back to normal. Whether there's going to be a renaissance of people wanting to go out and it's going to be like you know summer of love and everybody's every event's going to be rammed, or whether there's just going to be too many things, people aren't going to have the money to do it, and you know there's going to be it's going to be even more risky to put on events. So I think I think the answer for me would be yeah, but not in the way that we used to, where we would just chuck money at and just have like a stats lineup. I think like the way that we would work it would be different sort of internally. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, th I think everyone's going to have to take a look at it and just evaluate how they want to do events because I reckon once we open up, everything's going to be stacked and that's going to be like that for the first couple of months. But then you've got to think of the follow-up to it and building it up and carrying on that rave sort of vibe. Yeah. Yeah. One, one thing we spoke about the last time you were on the episode that didn't record, unfortunately. <laughs> I was wondering whether we'd get through without actually mentioning that, but no. <laughs> oh, mate, I had, I had to drop it, sorry. <laughs> yeah, not, not a good day. Finn, this has been sticking in my head since you guys said it, and I was just like, oh, and I get so excited thinking about it. So to sum up for people listening, we're speaking about COVID and how... How's the rave scene going to be after COVID? Is it going to be booming? Is it maybe going to be people are staying at home because they've realised, oh, I don't need to go out every weekend. But one thing was said was, I think it was you that said it, guys. The rave scene originated when Thatcher was in power and everyone was looking for that little escape and just that, that little bit of freedom to feel like, oh, I can go out, I can dance, I can just lose my mind in this like warehouse field, wherever it is. Yeah. And it started during a recession, during a time of crisis. Now, obviously, the world's never went through something like COVID before. And it just keeps playing over and over in my head that this is going to be like the rejuvenation of the rave scene almost. I might just be looking at it really optimistic, but but yeah, just ever since we had that chat, that's been just repeating over in my head. I'm like, oh, history repeats itself almost. And yeah, I mean, I think I'd like to be optimistic and think the same thing. I would. Um, I think, you know, we've seen it a little bit. It's, you know, the rave scene was always originally about doing your own thing and kind of not really buying into the mainstream. And what attracted it to me in the 90s when I was a teenager and stuff was the fact that it wasn't um, about what shirt you wore and you know the, the music wasn't kind of prescribed like by Radio One's playlist or whatever like a, your average tiny club on a Friday night it was kind of a, a complete cultural shift away from that and you 
go to somewhere like, you know, Slamming Vinyl or whatever, and there'd be people there who were chemistry students, but there'd be people there um, from all walks of life as well. It would be just like a proper cross-section of society and nobody really cared because it was just the rave scene and there was it was a sort of super non-judgmental place. And that's why I think that's what's always attracted people to it, um, you know, as well as the music and, you know, let's face it, other things that they can do to escape at the weekend. Um, but there was a big business there as well. That's the thing. We, you know, back then there wasn't like huge companies who were who were looking to make money out of out of festivals. I mean, you know, I've, I've lost count how many drum and bass festivals I've seen pop up on my Facebook feed in the last sort of month since that announcement that they were going to open up. And there's no hardcore to be seen at all, apart from maybe the sort of big brands like Clubland or you know whatever. But there is barely there's. And, and the, the hardcore promoters doing the smaller nights. Yeah. There isn't actually any hardcore featuring on any of those bigger festivals that I'm seeing popping up. But that's big business, and the reason why they're choosing drum and bass is because drum and bass is hugely popular amongst people under the age of 20. And when you look at the demographic of where hardcore is, we, we've got such small amounts who are under the age of 20 compared to the mid-twenties, thirties, up to forty, and then after that you've got old school people into old school hardcore and stuff like that. Now, <clears throat> hardcore, it, it, from the, the genre point of view, we would need youngsters to, if that something like that was going to kick off, because let's face it, going back to the early nineties race scene, that was pretty much people in their early twenties, eighteen, nineteen, even younger than that. Yeah. yeah, you know, and that isn't there. Most of those kids are now listening to either hip hop, grime, deep house music, drum and bass, and none of the harder styles of music is actually listened to as much as those ones by that demographic of kids who are gonna spend their money and go out week in week out. Yeah, that's all. It, it differs slightly. So, so how how do you think? hardcore can almost like break through to the younger demographic like what's it got to do to be like look we're here we're, we're making good music we it, we i mean without selling out so obviously we don't want to sell out because that's not yeah. what you do um we almost need to take a little bit of what they are into and adapt it to what we already have within our genre you know you look at drum and bass and they've been extremely well they do extremely well adapting what's happening out there amongst the youth and adapting it to their music and, uh, and and taking it forward but they still keep all the elements of what makes their music great and they keep yeah. it in there we do I, I, I can't tell I mean obviously we can, I can only speak for ourselves but it's very difficult to see that in hardcore because hardcore is like a trend you know one, one sound comes in everybody does that one sound yeah and yeah. then with drum and bass that isn't the case you know you do have like you have your drum pub stuff you have your liquid stuff you have your you know stuff that's really sort of psychedelic but it all can go under one roof and it does on the main stages as well that's the, the main thing you know when you've got something really kind of big happening in the drum and bass fraternity even something like hospital which is tied to one mm. brand they've got so many different artists doing so many different styles of music under that umbrella that it's there's just a little bit more like creative freedom almost to kind of do stuff and still get recognised for it. I reckon it's hard with hardcore. DJs, you know, 
know, we look at Andy C and stuff like. I know we always we always mention Andy C because obviously he's the household name for drum bass. Everybody knows everybody outside the drum bass knows who Andy C is. Yeah. But he he is a great he's a great DJ for showcasing the entire scene. I mean, he his sets consists pretty much of different styles of drum and bass, and it's not even you know he barely plays any of his own music barely. Yeah. He play the odd remix from himself or an, an original track. The majority of it is either off the label or off other people. And a, a lot of DJs do that. You still got people like Mampy Swift and all that who still do that. The sort of sort of underground sort of drum bass people. But we don't particularly have that in hardcore at all. No. And I think until we start, I suppose in a way, hardcore will grow if everything is aligned with each other and moves forward together and everybody's on the same page. Yeah. But I think when you look at the scene, we are all in different areas and on different pages, you know. Dar Darren now, um, Darren Scarves now, um, uh, um, he says, actively says that he's not a hardcore DJ. Yeah, he said in the 90s rave podcast. Um, so when we have hardcore nights, we got to put hardcore DJs, not people who say they're not, not hardcore DJs. You know, it's, you know what I mean? We all have to work together if we want the scenes to kind of move forward. So it's just little, it's just things like that. Like I said, the albums, you know, when the albums come out, they, the Rays almost have to sort of show that the music from the albums too, you know, there's a responsibility on all sides, really. You know, we've got to kind of play that music that we make at the Rays that we play at, and the promoters almost have to put the DJs that have been the, that are most active. And that's how it all kind of works. You have this sort of whole feeding cycle, and then you know, obviously, people get to hear that music. You know, I don't know. Maybe the thing is, maybe the youth might pick up on it now that you know there's this COVID things kicked in and it, it's caused a lot of problems. Maybe people might go, "Oh, I want to go to something a little bit more crazy and actually choose the hardcore over drum bass." You just don't know. Yeah. Maybe drum bass has become too commercial. I, th I think that's thing. Only only time will tell, but. One thing you said there, Nick, was about Andy C being a DJ that, like, necessarily doesn't play a lot of his own music. Now, this was something I always wondered, and I tried to have this discussion with my friend the other day, but I think I worded the question poor, but do you think in hardcore it's possible for a DJ to break through? Now, when I say break through, I mean, like, break through on an Andy C sort of level. Whereas they're just a DJ, yeah, they can work with guys and make their, make some tracks and stuff like that. But just a DJ and not so much a producer. Do you guys think that's a possibility to happen for somebody just to get booked on their sheer DJ and talent and actually? I think it's a lot harder for somebody who's just a DJ. Yeah. Um, unjustly so, really, because like when I first got into the music. Um, being a producer and being a DJ were very distinct things and yeah there were plenty of people who did both but you know your abilities as one didn't really um, dictate your level of success with the other but yeah now I think it's a lot harder I mean there are people out there who've managed to kind of um, transcend the glass ceiling a little bit people like Tom DJC who's a great DJ really kind of en energetic performer always plays a real sort of cross-section of music um, I mean, he does produce, but he's not a prolific producer and, you know, he doesn't play um, exclusively stuff from himself and his labels and things like that. So there's people like him and, and obviously going back a good few years, Kutsky as well, um, 
who was always a very um, diverse DJ and would play a lot of sort of different styles of music, very versatile and obviously very technically gifted as well. Um, it's hard. To, it's hard to know really what what um, what the, the landscape is going to be like. Again, whether it's going to have changed off the back of COVID and stuff is is hard to know because obviously you know a lot of people have continued. Um, producing music like ourselves we've continued with our podcasts and continue putting albums out and stuff like that um, but whereas a lot of people haven't done a great deal of, of work in terms of their output and and yet you know some of the maybe newer DJs and that really kind of have put the hours in in terms of their streaming and putting sets together regularly for people and it'd be nice to see a little bit of that rewarded maybe on you know when it comes to doing the lineups um, for some of the events but I don't know because it's like it's it's changed so much um, from when we first started out, you know. And I think going back to what you were saying about um, bringing the youth in, like hardcore for me, if you look at it, has always been at its most exciting, and it's always been in its ascendance when, like, the new music is what people are interested in. You know, you look at like Bonkers back in the '90s and stuff like that. The Hardcore Evan album series originated back then as well. That was that was all about like pushing what was going on in the raves and what was new and what was coming up and what was going to happen next. Um, similarly, when it when we look at it, Raver Baby and stuff like that, you know, we uh, I know we all love these massive breathing styles tracks and we love all these Hixie tunes. We love all the Scott Brown tunes off the Bonkers CDs and stuff like that. But those were all brand new music at the time, and that's when Hardcore was at its prime. Yeah. And all of that music was brand new and people were going to raves and hearing, you know, you know, sh um, you're, uh, you're shining for the first time or something like that. You know, there's always a first time for everything, but let's make, let's look back at it. Hardcore, the reason why we loved those tracks so much is because they were, they were brand new and they were played at a time when there was a, a rise coming from the scene. So you almost have this nostalgia. The nostalgia comes from the fact that our scene was big yeah, but then you enter a catch twenty two situation because people start to lose interest as the newer music kind of stops, or they get tired of one particular style or one particular sound. So the new people lose interest in it. So then, all of a sudden, you've got a choice between continuing down that path or trying to change things too much, or or just pushing forward with new music all the time, or you can play it safe and you can carry on playing those tunes from the last few years which you know will get a reaction and that's unfortunately I think what happened with Harkle too much there was too much reliance on big anthems particularly if you go back five six years ago um, a lot of the new music wasn't getting pushed through and you would hear the same records that are five six seven years old getting played every single night and that was the problem is that those it, it sort of scared off the new people and it, it kind of preached to the crowd that was already there and with that, so, you know, if it's not exciting, if there's not new music happening, if there's not new artists coming through, if the direction's not changing, it's not going to attract that many new people. You could you could have gone to a rave in 2017 and, you know, having not been out for six years and still hear a great deal of the same sounds and the same tracks and stuff and see the same artists on the lineup as you'd seen five years before and just go, oh, Harkle's kind of just not moved on. I'm not that into this anymore. So then you lose those people and then... It's it's it feeds it. This is where the catch twenty two thing is, is because you've then got just this core of people that live and die and breathe hardcore, which is great, but you're getting this ever dwindling number of kind of people who like things a certain way, and then so when somebody does come along who tries to change it or do something completely different, 
it's even harder to kind of sell that new direction to them, you know? Like, I've seen so many negative things. I mean, personally, it's, it's we, we've got no skin in the game. We've literally not got um, any reason to kind of... We, we still make music at 175 BPM, and, you know, we do we do some other little bits and pieces, but predominantly, if you go and see a Frax and Darwin set, now we, we play fast, energetic music. Our sound has changed a little bit, but, you know, we've always tried to to evolve like what we're doing musically but in terms of the speed it's the same um, but the number of negative comments and that I've read over the last few years about people playing and making music slower is really sort of discouraging because it's kind of like what does it really matter you know it's still hardcore if it's 160 BPM or 165 BPM it's the thing when you actually go back in t again when you go back in time I, I, I always feel like we, we forget that actually hardcore has existed for over 25 years it's not something that's just been around 10 or, or 15 it's been around for over 25 years yes it's changed its name here and there and they've called it uk hardcore happy hardcore whatever you know 4b or you know something that was floating around back in the 90s yeah i remember that. fundamentally it all came from that that time you know those artists that were around in those mid 90s are still around today and um you know it, it all does connect in some way or form and a lot of that music back then was made at 160 BPM. It was just sped up when people were playing DJ sets and stuff like that. Well, that's the other thing. That's why, actually, I've had people ask us this and said, you know, well, you like we try we've changed our sound and we kind of um, we do like to try and move on and sort of sound um, current with a lot of what we're doing, particularly with the vocal side of things. So, you know, we have adopted some of the more hard style leads and stuff like that in the last couple of years, but we haven't changed the speed. And people have said, like, why don't you slow it down? And it's because a lot of the time when I've seen people playing the music, they all still play it at 175, 180 BPM, particularly on in, in live streams and things like that. Um, you know, a lot of the bedroom DJs and demos and things we get sent through, they're kind of at that speed. So it's like, well, there's no point in making it at 160 if that's not the speed that people are going to play it at. It just ends up losing its sort of integrity musically because it ends up sounding like the Chipmunks. So if we carry on, if we make a record in G major or F sharp or whatever, um, at 175 BPM, it's going to sound less sped up. It's not going to lose any of its bottom end when it's played at plus eight in a club, you know? So that's why we still make music fast. At the same time, again, that's not even me saying that, I've, you know, hardcore's better, fast, or, or 160. In the end, you know, the other thing is with DJing now is that we're not just DJing like we did back in the day. We're almost like a band now. You know, you look at every DJ now, it's not even just about the fact they DJ. It's like you're you're almost like a group, you know, or an artist. You're not that's what they refer to you as an artist. Yeah, a Spotify artist, isn't it? Hmm. You know, I saw Next Guy, there was a couple of people sharing links of Next Guy um, playing. And yes, he did. He played like a hardcore track or two. And, um, but that's where we're at, is that actually, we actually do have a lot more freedom now than possibly we did, you know, 25 years ago. Yeah. And yeah, we, we should take advantage of that. We should really take advantage of that. Because, you know, the music has, hardcore has definitely come up a long way since it's um, back in the day. You know, you look at production-wise, you know, we, it's, it is up there pretty much with every other genre. You know, you can play a hardcore track next to a house track and it's probably more powerful, way more powerful. Yeah, it'll get a bigger reaction. You know, you, 
plays back an old 90s track against a house cut back in time and it's literally like night, night and day sometimes mm. but in the environment that would have been fine because when you went to a you know a Helter Skelter or whatever hardcore heaven back then you know it was all hardcore so the sound was the same you weren't going from one to another but yeah I mean the, we have the freedom now to do whatever that's why it's, it's almost more important to be sort of experimental with it hardcore allows you to do that we're saying you know there's not many genres out there where you can pretty much do whatever you want really no no well that's that's the thing I mean like you were saying like with drum and bass and everything they've got so much variety and so much different styles and hardcore almost has that but it's kind of in the midst of like a well a couple maybe a year or so ago it was in the midst of a little identity crisis almost i feel but it clubs it it hardcore gigs now you can you can have a bit of everything you could have like guys like jack b playing all like the on the all obviously but like guys like jack b making the size stuff you can have guys like club filler who are making that older sort of quash records that 185 raver baby sort of kicking everything like that you've got that you've got guys like yourself who are just making fun fast upfront happy music i know we said darren styles isn't hardcore because he said it himself but you've even got guys like him who are playing that little bit slower but they just make whatever they want i don't feel like i think all he means when he says he's not a hardcore dj now is he's not just a hardcore dj i think there's a difference between saying yeah, that like he's i don't think anybody's suggesting for a minute that he's turned his back on that music or anything and no, no, not he's not going to make it you know i think what he just means by that is it's quite um it's kind of what nick was saying about netsky and stuff like that it's kind of less about the genre now in terms of um, the main stages when you look at festivals and the way that the, the kind yeah, of when, when, when you're kind of like yeah when you're at the, when I won't say at their level but I'll say when they're those guys are kind of because they over the they, because they've been around for such a long time I mean Darren has and kind of built up to a, this artist he's he's, he's he's an artist in his own right so you know he's, he is a, he'll always be a hardcore DJ that's <laughs> yeah. what, yeah. what anyone says um, but he's moved into this area where it's not—it's not about what he, what genre he plays, or it's about what he's going to play. If when yeah, he's yeah. I think guys like—I mean, we spoke about him before, but guys like Ben Nicky as well. Like they—they they stand out as that because it's like you're going to hear what they're going to play. It's not oh, I'm going to hear hardcore. I'm just going to hear some good music that's going to be different and a bit faster and. I, bringing it back to the young, younger generation and bringing them into clubs, instead of them being like, "Oh, I'm going to see Ben Nicky because Ben Nicky's cool and he's a popular guy to go see." Essentially, they want to hear the hardcore music, but they sh they should be bringing themselves to an actual hardcore club where they can hear more of that music and. Well, I think it's telling and it's quite cool, you know, the reason people like Ben Nick and that are kind of standing out amongst their peers a lot is because they're doing something different, you know, they're not just playing one style of music, they are incorporating yeah. hardcore in there and it's good because it, and the fact that it works for people like that on those kind of younger, um, sort of more not mainstream, if you like, crowds, it, it, it's what I've always said hardcore, I know I said this last time, but it's what I've always said hardcore has got going for it, which is, it is pretty much the most energetic style of music out there i mean you know argue about gabba and stuff like that but in terms of like 
broad appeal. You know, it's very musical. It's quite a lot of it is song based. Um, you know, there's good kind of sing along elements to it, and it's really energetic and you know. Happens. It has to light and shade. That's the thing. It has to light and shade. Yeah, and that that to me, I, I I can't see why. You know that that's I've always thought that of all the underground styles of music, that one has got the most um, potential to cross over and be popular with the kids. And in fact, it is. You know, if you look at like games like Roblox and stuff like that, where you know a lot of what people play on those platforms is um, user creation. It's you know it's kind of games and lobbies and that that people have built themselves and they've chosen the music there's, there's loads of hardcore and jcore and stuff like that on those platforms you know i know people whose kids have played you know and, and recognize things that you know that aren't too far away from what we do because they've played it and heard it on roblox and things like that it's it is out there but it's it's not labeled it doesn't have a tag on it that says hardcore like it did when we went into hmv in the right place that's the thing it was the same like I said you know all these kids they, the, the thing is it's not it's not that hardcore can't work with the younger generation like i said they just don't know it, it's there they don't know what it is or where to look for it because there isn't really a, 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 a clear path like you do with other genres you know you've got certain labels you've got events you've got albums and they all tie into the same thing it's, it's about that thing we're talking about where everything needs to tie together if it's not tied together then it's scattered and when things are scattered people struggle to, to know where they're going and what where where the best places to look are and um with these youngsters they're not they've all heard hardcore you can ask you know they might not know what it is but everyone's heard you know a 4-4 kick and stuff at you know 170 plus bpm everyone's heard it they just you know, you can speak to any youngster and they've heard it in some way or form. But if it's not at the places that they're used to going out to or, or, or the platforms where they're, they're used to hearing stuff, it can be very difficult for them to follow it and actually become, you know, interested in it. Yeah. And you know, we, that's kind of where we the genre struggles a bit in the last sort of, you know, seven or eight years. I suppose it hasn't had the, the exposure on the right platforms like you know some of the other genres have all had yeah. it'd be interesting to know like when when you know it's not just the covid thing even before that we've we've said before like in the last two or three years that we live in a in a sort of bubble really um you know we go to hardcore clubs predominantly we play to hardcore crowds we play it you know festivals particularly overseas where there's like sort of different more different genres and stuff and you do get to see you know a younger crowd particularly in america come out for for raves than perhaps they get over here but like I'd be interested to know, like, what what is the kind of major trends for, you know, 18, 19-year-olds? If you're just of that age, we've been saying for years, haven't we, driving through city centres and stuff, how just the general going out to pubs and clubs thing seems to have dwindled, like, a lot. You know, you can drive through a big city centre on a Friday or Saturday night on the way to a gig and you'll see rows and rows of empty bars and stuff. And you're like, man, 20 years ago when we were, you know, first going out, these places would have been rammed every Friday and Saturday. So I think there's a trend towards maybe younger people don't do that so much anymore. You know, like why would you spend 40 quid to go out to a club and, you know, pay five pound a pint in the local pub and all of that stuff yeah. when you can just get a cheap bottle of vodka and have your mates around and just listen to whatever you want on YouTube all night. And I think that's a lot of what younger people, from my experience, kind of do a lot more than they used to. It's not like they consume music and club music in that one way that we maybe used to where it was all about you know 
yeah, you'd listen to stuff on, you know, your headphones and stuff like that. But predominantly, rave music was about going to the rave and it was about experiencing it in that environment. And maybe they don't do that so much now, particularly with games. And well, things. it's quite a throwaway now, isn't it, for them? You know, from, you know, just seeing what, you know, my kids go through and stuff like that. They, they kind of, they don't, clubbing isn't a thing. Like, they're not interested really in going to clubs. What they're interested in is going to festivals because they can get that one big weekend and then with their mates and then go to that you know save up spend loads of money there and then they, they won't go out for weeks on weeks or months even they'll just go to the odd little bar and just and just chat and with their friends at the weekend and that's it but the, the next time they go and do something will be something big like they'll go to radio one or something like that in newcastle or something like that so it's kind of like it's not like how it was sort of early 2000s and sort of the 90s where you know you were loyal almost to the race and you went out week in week out you'd see similar people every week when we played you know you'd see the same people there was like this loyalty to it like you would you know it wasn't just about the music it was like i'm part of this scene i'm part of this sort of family almost i'm going to go to that event that event that event and i'm going to support all these people the youngsters these days don't have that they, they show their support via I'm just going to go and stream like on Spotify like, and listen to this with my mates and stuff I think people, you know, I think people do still be. I think there still are parts of movements and stuff like that, but I don't think it's yeah. quite as tribal as it used to be. And I don't think, like we said about, you know, I don't think people pick a genre and and be that person in quite the same way, which is kind of good, really, because it does mean, you know, like yeah. it does yeah, mean there's a the, they you can sort of do a little bit more whatever you want. You don't have to be any one thing, and you know that's good in in terms of sort of culture because everybody's a little bit of something else you know i've certainly never just been about hardcore I've, i was into drummer bass long before hardcore and you know it's kind of like i like a bit of everything and yeah i just think people kind of kind of maybe go to more varied events now rather than sticking like nick said to one thing and going out to that drama and hearing it week in week out particularly if there's not a lot of new artists or not a lot of new music happening because you can go, why, you know, why go out four times a month and hear the same set from the same artist four times when you can just go out once every six months with hardcore and you'll probably still hear a lot of the same <laughs> records at the same time. That's, that's the, thing. Like, so, well, the thing is, hardcore is great. It is great. There's so much, you know, when we look at, you know, me and Gareth see a lot of people, like, you know, send us tracks or we hear stuff that are, sort of popped up on our news feed or with someone sent us a promo and stuff like that and there's some really really good like exciting new music out there it's not it's i mean i get i get really kind of like sort of frustrated when i hear people say that it's dead because it's far from dead it's it, the only reason why it could be dead for someone is because they have no interest in it so yeah or they're only interested in a certain period but hardcore's never been dead in my eyes never it's yeah, it's had dips, but that's it. But it, it, every genre has ups and downs. Yeah. That's the thing, it's like, going to a going night now, there's no reason why you can't have a little bit of everything at a night. Like, it doesn't just need to be, oh, fresh, brand new, upfront hardcore. You could get guys playing, like, like say, classic sets, like, just a bit of everything. Even some, like, some proper old-school, early 90s hardcore, like, well, they've always been there, actually. You know, they've actually always been there. You go back to the Razor Baby events uh, um, and early HGIDs and the fan vinyls. 
there was always old school rooms and there was always the token even now I mean actually last Wednesday there was a DJ Forster oh wicked yeah which was great so, yeah yeah and he, he did he did he, he would have played most of the Forster style stuff and you know whatever was going on in that the sort of mid 90s late 90s and stuff so there's always sets that are, are there it's just that um, you know um, you just kind of miss them slightly because obviously they're kind of sandwiched in between sort of all the other acts and stuff but they've kind of always been there um, really the sort of old school stuff um, but yeah I mean uh, you know just going going forward with you know music I do think hardcore would benefit from possibly being in line with some of the sort of other known or popular genres I think it would thrive if it was a if only you could if only you could put it in front of people that's the thing i mean we've stuck with it we've stuck with it for years and you know because we love it and i think there's a lot of other people that feel the same way you know in both in the industry and like from the ravers point of view i think it is just something that gets under your skin a little bit and we've always kind of stuck with it because we enjoy it and there you know there is that kind of family vibe to it as well that just I don't know. I, I, just for me, I think on the dance floor at the right moment with the right song and that nothing comes close to hardcore. I think it's still the the, the sort of pinnacle of kind of musical um, enjoyment. Like it just it hits all the right notes for me. And I kind of, I do feel like you know, if if only you could, if only you could bottle that and just put it in front of those people, and you know, I think a lot of people would would respond to it. And that's why you know when. Gareth Emery or Ben Nicky or somebody plays a hardcore track on those big stages, it gets the reaction it does. People might not know it's hardcore. They might not know where it, where to find it or who any of the artists who make it as opposed to anybody else actually is. But as a as a sort of art form, it does work. Like, And it's just a question of how do you get people to know what it is and how do you get people to find all these exciting artists and the people that are still writing new music. Like Nick said, there's loads going on, Like particularly... You know, not just in the UK but overseas as well. There's loads of really, really yeah. good producers who produce hardcore. They don't maybe all just produce hardcore. They produce other things as well. But you know, it's 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 there if you can only care to look. And we try and do little things like with our podcast and what have you, where we try and showcase other people's music as well as what we're doing to try and put it all in one place and go, look, there's all these as well. But you know, that's it's a podcast and it's you know it does well for us within within our genre. But in terms of the wider picture you know this there's no place for hardcore on on mainstream radio anywhere in the uk at all um it's not on any of the major festivals you know you go to glastonbury somewhere there'll be some sort of drummer base will be wrecked there hardcore won't be um i don't know there's you know there's a lot more to festivals than just glastonbury but even like download and you know all of the kind of drummer base has has done well to kind of get its cultural claws into everything um and it is just a much, much bigger scene. But I think part of the way that it's sort of conducted itself and because it's so sort of diverse and in terms of the different types of music and the number of different artists that kind of get to share the limelight, I think if hardcore had that, it would feed on itself as well. And you'd find that, you know, people would stick around longer and it would appeal to, to the younger generations a little bit more. But like we said, it's, it's how do you do that? How do you get that? that music and those artists and that vibe in front of people if you can't share it's those about stages fans, isn't it really when you look at it unless you're you know unless you get commercial success doing something 
you know, in the same way maybe sort of like Sigma did with Drum and Bass or DJ Fresh. Yeah. It's very difficult to kind of impose um, change or, or at least in, in speak to people who can get that in front of people. When you're sort of on, you know, on the underground scene, it's very difficult as an artist to kind of make make those um, those changes or bring those ideas to the table and make them happen. You can only do so much, you know. And obviously, that's something that's out of out of out, out of um, our hands, really. You almost need someone who's, who can see, you know, who's who, I won't say got money, but who's got that business side. You can go right, you know, I'm going to give this an opportunity got and give it time. Yeah, yeah. But you have to give it time. It won't work straight away. You can't give it one festival. You have to give it years of being in front of people, and then oh, you'll yeah. find that it, it, it will it will just click with people. It's a, the thing. That's what I love about hardcore. It is it is it's it's it, 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 it's a fundamentally a really British style of music as well. You know, it was it was practically you know here first. You know, um, and it's, I think the rave rave scenes are uh started off in the UK, didn't it? Like, this is where Raven came from, essentially. Holland and Germany, they were doing stuff as well. You know, I won't say it was exclusively just here, because obviously in the mid-90s, they still had all the, you know, their, their hardcore stuff, you know, happening over there. But there was definitely a rave sort of push in this, in, over here in the UK, which kind of, like, turned into something, you know? <laughs> we, we wouldn't be having these conversations if it wasn't for it. <laughs> Yeah, very true, and that's that's one thing that I love. Like this little radio show that I done, that I started it what a, a year ago, I think a year, yeah, about a year ago, and it's led to great things like me getting actually sit down. Like obviously we're not in front of each other, we're over the phone, but I'm getting to speak to people that like I respect and look up to in a music scene that I love. And it's because of this radio show, and it's because of Happy Hardcore that it's led to these things. And um, I just I feel like, also, I should say to you guys as well, I'm very grateful for you actually taking the time to to do this. Like, no, we're quite happy to chat. I mean, we do, you know, we have these little conversations every few weeks where we're kind of like, <laughs> what's you know, what's happening with it all out there? I mean, it's weird because, like Nick said. He, he, we're, we're artists in terms of um, like for me like I, I I just like making the music I enjoy the creative process of it and I enjoy putting it out there for people when I'm happy with it and I've polished it or we've polished it and it's it's all kind of you know I, I, I enjoy that side of it that's that's what I'm in it for and I enjoy playing that music to people um, a lot of the kind of marketing thing I know we touched on this when we talked um, before about you know social media and stuff a lot of that side of it I find to be a little bit of a pain rather than um, a fun part of it and it's it's just the way the world's gone you know not just with music but in terms of everything that you do have to sell yourself um, to people via social media and it's this like mad pool of kind of you know everybody's kind of vying for attention and competing for the right you know for clicks and eyes and stuff like that and it's you, you turn yourself into a little bit of a slut almost, like selling yourself, like not selling your music, but selling yourself almost. Yeah, and that side of it, I really kind of, I find really draining and sort of, I I'm not a massive fan of social media. Like I don't think if I was, um, you know, putting music out there as, a, as an artist that I would 
probably bother with a lot of it. That's one thing that's like social media, like it leads to a lot of people like it's probably a bit serious, but like a lot of people going through like depression and stuff like that because of social media, because they see everyone like you only post your best life on social media. Like you only post like the good things that you're doing. You don't post the hard things that you're the troubles and shit that you're going through. It's like I I was working in a Kashinkari a couple of years ago and I bumped into somebody that, that I went to school with and they're like, what are you doing here? Obviously I've got my high vis and like my work boots and everything on. They're like, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm working here. Oh, judging by your like Facebook and everything like that, I thought you were like DJing every weekend. I thought you were like doing that full time. I'm like, mate, no, that's just a hobby. Like, that's, that's it. Like nobody, everyone tries to just sell their best life on social media and it's just, yeah, it's not, I don't know. Well, that's that's part of, like we say. You said you know um, that's why we quite like doing these things. We don't do a great deal of them because there aren't that many outlets for it actually in hardcore. But um, don't mind sitting down and having a chat and just being who we are with you because I don't think there's any. I don't think it's going to help anybody to think that everybody lives in a sort of ivory tower somewhere and that you know it's it comes like if you've bought records by somebody or whatever that they have just kind of got it easy. It's not like that it like music and particularly any type of the arts at the minute but music's like it's a hard graft you know and there's a lot of downs and a lot of ups and stuff like that and it's yeah it can be social media can be quite sort of draining you know just the relentless kind of oh i've got to get a graphic done for this and then i've got to post it on there and i've got to post it on there and you know what if it doesn't get as many shares as the last thing that we shared you know does that mean people are less interested and kind of all that side of it um you know i try and just sort of not not keep tabs on just not not bother with you know we try to do what we can to promote things and just yeah. ultimately it's about the quality of the the music and the project well, for the me in the, in the long run you know um what people remember is what the music and all the events they've gone to and everything in between will just be forgotten that's why i try and own it when i'm on social media it isn't a personal thing it's more of a music it's more of a music thing I've, yeah now and again i'll put something up um, but majority of the time i think 90 percent of my um facebook is music related if there's something happening or whatever because to be honest but if, if, if i wasn't doing music i probably wouldn't be on there because yeah. there's no point in the end, yeah, even if I'm successful in some job or I'm doing, it's forgotten about in years to come anyway. So I might as well be doing, I might as well do the music thing. I just do the music thing because in the end, that's what people are going to remember. In, in 10, 15 years' time, they're not going to be thinking about what I put up 10 years ago on my Facebook page. They're going to think, oh, I love that track. Yeah. Or, you know, what? that mix that those guys did. You know, oh, do you remember that event we went to when they see exactly. that flyer? Exactly, and that's that's one of the things I'm like, Frax and Darwin, Free From Form, one of my favourite tunes that you guys have done, and that's what I'm going to remember in 10, 10 years' time. I'm not going to remember Frax and Darwin, oh, one day they went to a really nice restaurant and had a steak and posted it on Facebook <laughs> and it looked absolutely Well, that's delicious. it, though. There is, I know it sounds like, I, I do get why people do it, because, you know, like, you've got to keep your algorithms you know keep people focused on seeing what you're doing and you know the more interaction you can get on one thing it leads to interaction on that i do get why people do it but i just i don't want to put 
too much energy into that side of it. I'd rather put the energy into the into the making of the music and the putting together of the projects, like artwork and stuff like that. You know, we throw as much into that and putting the concept and things together and playing. You know, when we go and DJ somewhere, we do put thought into where we're playing and who we're going to be playing to and you know what's going to work on that floor. And we do try and mix new music in as well as tried and tested stuff to try and push it. We put a lot of thought into that side of things, but in terms of like, oh, you know. Just, I don't think anybody's interested in what I had for dinner or what new shoes I've got and things like that. Do you know what I mean? I, I understand why some people do want to do that, but for me, I just, I don't know. I mean, we're you know we're a niche of a niche making hardcore music. I don't think anybody's under any illusions about like the kind of lifestyle people are living. I just want to, just want to get on and put the music out there really. And I think social media is, it's like the internet itself. It's kind of best and the worst thing you know social media has suddenly given us all these outlets where we can reach our audience and you know it's good people who follow us on facebook or follow us on twitter or instagram or whatever have obviously got some sort of interest in what we do otherwise i guess they wouldn't have followed us so it's great yeah. that you can reach all those people directly without having to pay money to do it although i could get into a big argument with you about facebook advertising <laughs> their reach, but we'll save that for another day but you know, in theory, you can reach all these people that like you straight away, and that's a great thing. But at the same point, social media is this kind of poisonous thing on a personal level for a lot of people. You know, seeing yeah, it consumes people. It does. It totally consumes. People. It makes you feel inferior, no matter what you're doing. You can find somebody who seems to be doing better, or is getting more, you know, love for doing this or whatever. And that side of it's, you know, the sort of negative side, and and it becomes where the kind of bullshit overtakes the art I think is what really kind of gets to me a little bit and, and kind of you know people can it's almost like people I've, I've said this before but like you'll see people selling a merchandise range before they've even put any records out under that name do you know what I mean it's yeah like the branding and everything is important of course it is but only if you've got the product to back it up and I think sometimes it, people go about it the wrong way now they're almost like thinking about their image before they've even got the thing that they're going to be the image for you know I think just still focus on the art the art's almost got to be the most important thing the music itself has got to be the most important thing whether that's a track or a song or an album cover or a, an album concept put together or a DJ set or a performance of any kind like that's the thing that matters you know you can what you wear when you put that performance in like you can wear the coolest clothes in the world if you play an average DJ set in my opinion you know you you should be able to go up there in a string vest, <laughs> but if you're technically, if you're if you're if you're hitting the right notes on, you know, in terms of the set and technically that like that's what should count. It shouldn't really matter what you're wearing. It's like, yeah. but it's like the internet, isn't it? Like the whole thing is, you know, it's the best and the worst thing that's ever happened. You know, we can put our music out there and reach potentially anybody in the world for free, um, but at the same point, it means anybody who wants to steal our music can steal our music without any consequence and that's it there's you know so it's kind of i think you just got to balance it yeah you can't can't over overlook it really and just just it, it, I, I guess to sum up with facebook and the internet and everything just do what makes you happy and don't worry about what other people are doing i feel like like gammer he's very openly spoke about his depression and stuff like that because he felt like he was working towards providing what people were expecting from him and he wasn't doing what made him happy which in return led to him fall, falling out of love with a scene that he, that he grew up in that obviously he still loves but there was 
some issues that yeah won't go into that <laughs> well put it this way the idea that somebody as talented as gamma could end up feeling depressed about what they're doing that tells you everything you need to know about the industry and social media yeah because yeah. you know somebody with um his talent should not feel <laughs> under pressure at all you know he's he's by far and away one of the most talented people ever to come out of the rave scene and you know it, it, it's the way that the industry works and the way that social media works and the way that people maybe interact with artists sometimes on social media that's where that kind of negativity comes from and you know i, I think over time it will sort, sort itself out you see a lot of people now uh, not just musicians and that but quite a lot of people have kind of come off social media where they they limit the way they interact with it and like nick said we i don't tend to neither of us post very much personal stuff on there because you know yeah. not, don't think anybody would be interested but I'm it sure is get, I'm sure it will get to the point where social media or they, they, there will be laws there or things that will come into it where it will change it will change for everybody because it's not even just adults is it it's children and all sorts that are you know are suffering from the, the, the sort of behaviour that it's installed in people over the years and I think um, things will change, and things will change for the better. I think you know, some, you know, we've got to remember it's not actually been around that long, has it really? You know, and um, you know, yeah, it's still almost finding finding its feet, almost. Like it's a big it's a big part of life, but as you say, it hasn't been around for long. So, what what is social media going to be like in 20, 25 years time? Like, no idea, but you know, it's it's it's, it's exciting to know as well to see where. Things as well but I, you know things you know we are moving towards a world where things are sort of easy I suppose you know easy access is what people are striving for it's, it's how that affects music that has always kind of worried me because obviously like you know you know we've gone from you know artists being able to to, to live off music to suddenly struggling mm. you know, and not even be, it being a hobby for a lot of people I mean I count myself really really lucky that I'm able to do it as a job. Yeah. There's a lot of people that would love to do it and can't because it's just, um, it just doesn't sell. It doesn't matter how, how many likes you're getting on Facebook or, you know, where you're sitting in Beatport's top 100, it just doesn't generate enough money to, to for, for people who, who want to, you know, be, be successful. You have to do more than that. You can't just have a track in the top 100. Yeah. Unless you're one of, like, a very, very select few people yeah. at the very top of the dance tree, um, the electronic tree, unless you're one of those people, the only way you can survive and do it for a job the way we do is you've got to diversify and you've got to do everything. You've got to do a bit of everything. You know, you can't, wow. like Nick said, you can't just put a track out and expect that that plus a few gigs is going to sustain you you've got to be all over everything and there's so we do so many yeah. different things as well um as well as make the music and dj like you you know do a lot of engineering and tutorial stuff and and obviously running multiple record labels and things like that but the, you've kind of got to spread yourself thin and it's a very hard industry to to sustain in and you know i think it's uh it's going to be hard to see how social media um how that develops over time i think in one way it might sort of become like kind of almost one-way traffic do you know what i mean like artists will use it to kind of put their stuff out there but there won't be this kind of interaction so much with artists as there has been the last few years for that reason because you know particularly the higher up you go luckily we're kind of sort of 
we're off the radar a little bit, but you know, I see some of the stuff that that um, sort of more mainstream artists get tweeted at them and stuff, and you're like, man, you know, that's that's just unacceptable. And I think, um, you know, there will hopefully be some sort of changes to the law and that that will kind of make that less of a thing. I don't know. It's hard to know. No, no, I completely completely get where you are coming from but you did mention something there and it's actually worked in a perfect little segue so you guys said there that to survive in this scene you don't only have to make the music that you love you've got to compromise and do a couple of other things obviously to keep the income coming in so while looking through wikipedia and checking you guys out and i've just because this is obviously well technically third time we've done this i wanted to come up with something a little bit different and this this caught my eye so while trying to find new questions i've seen on wikipedia that you guys have actually made music for nintendo capcom kenomi and a couple of other big like big gaming names how how did that come about and is there any games that i would recognize your like recognize your music on I think it's, yeah, it's a bit, I mean, a lot of that stuff, a lot of it was for, the, if you recall, like the dancing games where they had maps and things like that. DDR, yeah. You can, yeah, so there is a few of our songs that are on arcade machines, actually, that are sort of scattered around the world and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, a lot, of that, a lot of that music was for multi-platform stuff, predominantly the DDR, the Dance Dance Revolution stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I think that was stuff on the Nintendo Wii, um, Xbox 360 back in the day. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so there was quite a, it was quite a spread of things. But we kind of engineered a lot of stuff for people as well. So it wasn't just that you might find some Darwin and Frack and stuff out there, but you actually will notice there's actually quite a few tracks that we haven't got our names on. That yeah, there's a lot have been done. Lots been done under different names, and a lot of engineering of yeah. things. Like we've done all sorts of like pop tunes and sort of rock things and that for those games yeah. and stuff yeah. over the years. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's kind of um, music um, for like games that have didn't even materialise because Nintendo decided they didn't want to put it out or things that have like that that we've got tracks that's sitting on our hard drives I think we ended up doing a, 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 I don't know whether Gaz I think you were doing this at the time but we ended up doing remixes of um, Mario yeah yeah I did all the all the ones from Mario 3 um, yeah I did it um, you did Yoshi's oh. Island and all that yeah I yeah, remember like, <laughs> drum and bass mixes and hardcore mixes of them and then they didn't bother putting it out they just said oh we can't bother Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was uh, that was a sort of dance rhythm game. Yeah, we've done bits for piece. We've done things for a few apps and stuff. Um, we did one a few years ago where we did the whole soundtrack for it, which was called Flow. That was like a sort of it was kind of like a racing game. Downloaded million. Yeah, it was number. It was the number one racing game in the world on on Apple um, for a while. Yeah, they're just um, I don't know. How we sort of stumbled into it really, but it's it's very different to doing stuff for the dance floor. It's quite nice. Um, like sort of switch up from from writing for you know for the raves to kind of writing for those games because you you have to sort of do quite a lot of different things. Like we we've just done one last year actually for um, Step Mania X, didn't we? We mm. did a bunch of tracks for that, um, and they've got uh, machines in arcades around the world, and um, 
yeah, it's just it's it's just good fun, and it's it's a different way of writing music um, when you're writing for those sort of uh, those platforms because it's you know obviously the intricacy of the music and the the layering of different rhythms on top of each other is kind of different to what you'd go for on the dance floor. So. So have you guys ever been like just walking through an arcade in a city that you are playing in and there's one of those machines and you hear your tune and you're just like, that is my tune? I, I have in London. Yeah. Yeah, I remember whereabouts. I think I might have been floating around somewhere like Oxford Circus or something like that with, with the kids and, and Linda and stuff. But I've heard it once. I know they got one in Disneyland. Yeah, I was going to say, you heard one of your remixes in Disneyland. <laughs> What a We've place seen to hear a Darwin, Darwin tune. tune. <laughs> that's, yeah, wicked. that's wicked. Yeah, weird. There's ones, um, there's ones in quite a lot in California. I've seen yeah. two of those definitely. That was DDR machines going back quite a while, so I don't know if they're even still there. I know they've got the Stepmania X ones in San Francisco. So I, yeah, they are. They do knock around, like, but I sometimes. I've got the Wii ones and the bits that we did um, that were on the Xbox. I know that's so how I actually went out and bought it. <laughs> <laughs> Because they didn't even send me a Chromer copy. Ah, got oh, it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Uh, but yeah, there's It was, the, it was the other way around to that. We we took we took the photos because the name was that way round. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was. Um, well, it never uh, looked right on the flyers. That's, from what I remember, there was a handful of gigs because obviously um, we have to go back and forth here. But there was a there's a, a certain um, few gigs where it was Darwin and Fracas, and it's it, even now when you actually say I know we're used to saying it this way round, but even now it doesn't sound right. Yeah, it, like Darwin the doesn't sound right. I don't know why though, because they're both two syllables, and it shouldn't make any difference. 
I, I have to say, like, as um, I've got, I've, I've, it was kind of you that wanted it that way round, wasn't it? Because it's just, yeah, it just sounds better, and I agree. It just, I don't know, it kind of looks more. Um, I've always quite liked that everyone keeps saying S and D as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It just works that way round, but. I'll let you. I'll let you say how we how we started because. Yeah, going back. I mean, to be honest, I mean, from what I remember, I mean, I actually found I knew Oz Frackers, um actually off at Harcourt Evan CD before I actually did stuff with RFU Recordings and Just Sound Label. I bought a, a Harcourt CD. It was like Harcourt Heaven, the first, the first one when it came back. The green was it green? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a Gav, there was a Fracas and Gavin GC there. So that was the first time I heard of Fracas, and it was a good track, obviously. But later on, obviously, you know, where I was doing stuff with Justin and Label and with RSU, um, you knew John quite well. Yeah. Well, he had signed a, a track of you, from what I remember too. It might have been that um, Shades of Grey track. It was, which later ended up going on DDR instead. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, and then that that you would actually you had gigs. We all both had gigs. We we were kind of doing stuff solo um, before that. I was doing stuff with RFU and Justin and Label. You were doing stuff with RFU and your own label and other things as well. You were doing stuff with Next Gen. Yeah. There was all this old stuff, solo stuff happening. We were getting remixes solo as well. You were doing stuff for albums. I was doing stuff for albums. We were doing gigs. I think we were resident for a, a, a small while at Vivalite. That's right, yeah, in Mission, uh, Mission in Leeds. Uh, as well, and there was like a couple, a couple of those that happened. But we, you know, the, it was, even though Hardcore Underground had started up as well, because that was something that, you know, obviously we're all talking and, you know, and playing at similar gigs together, and we're all, you know, working together anyway. Um, even when Hardcore Underground um, existed and we were mixing the, those albums, the Fraxton Darwin thing happened because of the Hardcore Evan Awards. Yeah, well, like, I, I think I said um, before, it seems really bizarre now to think that it was ever such a big thing, but the, um, the Hardcore Evan Awards were like this annual sort of um, award ceremony thing that they did um, at, at Westfest, it was originally, and there was a category called Best Breakthrough DJ and it just seemed to be, um, there was like a little sort of glass ceiling with some of the promoters and stuff. And just in terms of like your, the way you were seen in the scene, whether it, you know, whether it was fair or not, um, you were sort of judged whether you'd, how well you performed in this this Best Breakthrough category by some people. And it was, uh, we, we did it one of the years, I can't remember who it was, well, I can remember who it was, but I'm not going to say. But somebody, somebody <laughs> saw what the votes were because they just they happened to know like where it, and it, it turned out that we'd kind of split our vote and half, you know, we'd we'd both kind of got about the same. Um, and if you look at the people that that won these awards, it always makes me laugh that people say that they were fixed because they really weren't at all. Um, uh, but yeah, um, we sort of split our vote and. Everybody who kind of won these awards, it was just seen by by the ravers and some of the other promoters as like a real kind of acceptance that you'd kind of got some momentum and some you know a fan base behind you and stuff. You look at the people yeah, who won it like yeah. Re Recon, Joey Riot, um, Kurt, Gamma, Gamma yeah, well. you know, kind of it really it, it was like a validation really. Whether 
it was fair that people needed that or not is beside the point it existed and that was that was the scene we existed in and that was how things were so we were like well if we split the vote probably the smartest thing to do you know we do a lot for the same labels um <coughs> we play a lot of the same of each other's music and stuff like that let's just get this out of the way let's pair up for a while we'll become a sort of back-to-back duo and we'll you know we'll do these awards as a joint thing so that we're not splitting our vote hopefully we'll win it and then we'll never have to think about it ever again um and we'll stop getting dogged by people about oh yeah you know you guys it just became one of those things it became a reason for some people not to sort of book us and you know we'll so yeah and that was that was 2009 at the end of that so we did um an album which i think was the fourth harker underground album which was the first one we mixed together so we did a disc on that together and that was the kind of start of it where we'd written a couple of tracks um earlier that year just because we were working together and you know we're working with some people that knew each other and stuff like that we did a few tunes and then i think it was 2000 (coughs) yeah 2010 was when we sort of really started only taking bookings on that as a duo i think yeah and i still think that's one of the busiest years we've ever had because i just remember it being relentless it was just weekend i think we i remember looking back at it actually um last year when obviously you know 2020 there were (laughs) there was no gigs um but i look back and i think we did 12 gigs in december 2010 just in one month um and it was just uh yeah that whole year was just relentless but we did um manage to sort of win this this award and it was you know it was it wasn't about like genuinely wasn't about trying to um to get anything out of it we just wanted it out of the way so that it just was never brought up again really and we were never sort of it was never used as a stick to beat us with and say that we weren't doing things you know we didn't have a, a place in the in the scene so we um yeah we did that and then it just sort of stuck really and we we kind of stayed as a duo because it was for me it was it's always just been more fun you know because we both bring different things to it in terms of you know not just the music we make but like the way that we play and the the ideas we've got with the sets and it just and it uh, just the the sort of social side of it as well yeah well that's the thing it's not it's the social side it's not and and we we both literally have the same likes in practically everything so it's really easy to work on music and really easy to do sets and stuff because I know exactly what Gaz is going to do I know exactly what he knows exactly what I'm going to do you know, we, we kind of know what we both like and because we both like the similar stuff it's really easy to work it's like it's, there's never an issue ever it never does feel like being in I know it sounds really like pretentious or whatever but it does it is like being in a band where you just know what yeah. you're what the bassist's yeah. going to do while you're playing lead guitar or vice versa or whatever you just sort of I don't know we've just got this symbiotic thing and the longer it's gone on the more sort of in tune we are like we don't yeah. even really um, have to say very much to each other before it's sort yeah. of we'll, we'll maybe talk about like what we're going to start with and stuff like that but I think we said when we did this before like I, I tend to sort of go first out of the two of us just out of habit really um, yeah but that's just become a thing and now it just is and it would just yeah it's 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 weird because like there's not you know there isn't actually that many duos 
like in hardcore, I always find. There has been some major big ones, but you know, when I look at it and I just think, oh, well, that actually was only a few years worth of Boston Styles when you think about it. I know they do gigs now, mm. stuff, but actually, there was only back in the day, maybe four or five years of Boston Styles. Well, that's the thing. Everyone seems to split off and go their own way, and you guys, you guys have like stuck true to the duo. But well, I think it's quite important. The thing is that we both write music. Like, it's not we. There isn't one, the one of us that does one thing and the other one does another. We both actually do all of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. we both do solo stuff still anyway. Like, if you go and look at what we've been doing, even even on the hardcore ever now, there's always going to be the odd track by one of us on our own. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, I think how it works is that I, I, I really like it because we're, we're not isolated. We like I can imagine being on a solo artist must be quite hard sometimes because you're, sometimes you might feel like you're on your own. We never feel like we're on our own. Yeah, no. you can't always, we always get back up. Yeah, We've got each other's back. And, I, and again, even with John and Hark Underground, there was this whole togetherness like and back up there like even though like you know we might not have played on as many of the main stages that we would have liked to there's been so many sets that we would love to have played over the years like we just never got the opportunity to you know and but we've always had our backs on it it's like you know don't worry guys you know we're just going we're going to go and write some music we're going to go and do this we're going to do that but you know, I can imagine for a lot of you know solo artists and you know, solo DJs too that that sometimes can feel quite isolating it's like oh, what do i do you know i can send a demo out but who do i talk to like you know we, yeah. we can talk to each other we can say i've got this idea or what should we do about this or you know should we go and have you know see what these guys are up to or should we go and do this pro- project you know there's always we, we've got that back up there and that helps as well when you're out every weekend and you're on the road and stuff like that. You know, like it's a soul destroying amount of driving you have to do. Particularly, it's great. It's great to be busy, but you know, on the busy years we've had, um, when or you, you know, when you're on a busy month and you've got four or five gigs, which is which is a busy month these days. Um, in a month, you know, you are every weekend doing maybe seven, eight hours of driving. That's a long time to spend on your own. And yeah, you can bring your mates and you can bring your missus and stuff, but. That gets old really quick for them, yeah, you know. Yeah, and they don't want to do it, and you're just left doing it yourself. Yeah. 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 Whereas if there's the two of us, you know, we we never run out of things to talk about. We listen to a lot of music. Yeah. We listen to all sorts yeah. of things, and we just have a laugh all the time. And it's it, you know, particularly when we go overseas and things like that, it's it definitely definitely makes what would be work um, seem a lot more fun. And that that side of it definitely has has helped as well because obviously you know musically and artistically we're, we're very much on the same wavelength but like nick said you're not on your own you know and we've we're able to sort of chat about because we we basically our work life is kind of shared to you know there's a big overlap 75 percent of what we do is kind of like shared between us so if there's an issue or you know we're struggling with something there's there's somebody there to kind of who absolutely knows exactly what you're talking about whereas i think even with your mates who know everything that you do or, you know, your partner, there's always that side of it where... They don't fully comprehend almost. It's hard It's hard to relate to, um, you know, because I think we're all a bit um, a bit odd <laughs> as artists. <laughs> I think that's all. we've all got some sort of weird kind of um, 
like artist gene in us that just makes you react to certain things a certain way and it's good to have somebody to sort of sit and chat about with that yeah yeah every week you know there's there's little things like you're saying a wee weird artist gene i remember i don't want to say this because i want to use it but if somebody else uses it fair play so you guys star wars fans um, oh, actually, no, I like. I do like Star Wars. I've, I've watched it. I won't say like I'm a, I know everything about it, or anything. I've, I, I do like it. I've watched it over the years. I've watched pretty much every movie. Yeah, yeah. I'm a casual, same casual, casual observer, but I wouldn't say I was like yeah. a, a massive fan or anything. But I've, yeah, I've seen them. I watched the Mandalorian and stuff. That. Oh, it was great. But when the first new Star Wars film came out, so what was it? The Force Awakens. When that came out, just as the film started. There's a little scene in it, now I don't know if you guys remember it, but the main bad guy in it, Ky- Kylo Ren, he does something, I can't remember exactly what he does, but he just says this one line and he just goes, I'll show you the dark side. And I was sitting in the cinema with my granda, because me and my granda used to watch Star Wars all the time when we were kids. But I just like, I grabbed his leg and he was like, what, what are you so excited for? I was like, that would, that would work great in a track. I'm like, that would just be a perfect little vocal hook just to just before I drop and he's just looking at me as if to be like what's wrong with you <laughs> yeah we're, we're, we're watching Star Wars I'm like no but that I'm like I can picture it in my head how it's going to go and he's just looking at me as if I'm a freak and then everyone else in the cinema is like shut up so yeah we do have that little that little gene as you said it's weird I, I remember it's just it's similar to that um, it's just, it doesn't happen so much anymore because everything's there's so much stuff out there and sampling doesn't seem to happen quite so much but i remember the weird sensation you would get if you were watching a movie or a tv show or something and a a sample from a tune that you knew really well just jumped out yeah there was a tune i used to play way back in the day um called i think it might be called outside world it was a kevin energy thing on one of the newer the early new energy tracks anyway and i was watching a film called um the cube once and it's just got this little bit in it and the guy's blah, 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 blah. The reason we're here is that it's out of control. And it makes you go like, whoa, what just happened? I feel like the line that he... And then it suddenly takes a second to go, that's the sample from that tune. I used to like that when that happened. Um, so, yeah, maybe it, it comes from that, like, where you just sort of... You're, you've got an inbuilt ear for, like, what's going to work well in a, in a hardcore track. Yeah, just I, it's just a shame I don't have the talent that you guys have got to actually put the tracks down. <laughs> the thing is, music comes with time, doesn't it? That's, yeah. I, I, I was, you know, when it's, it's quite a hard thing to hear sometimes, I say, when someone says it, because I, I think music is kind of something you pick up. I mean, we're always learning now, you know. I don't think it ever, ever stops anyway. But it's that kind of like it just—it just takes time. No one ever gets it overnight. You never become, you know, like good at music overnight. Well, what is it they say? It takes—it takes ten years to become an overnight success. Yeah. yeah, minimum, I would say, if you're working on your own. If you're working, you know, in an industry like ours where you're basically an indie outfit and um, you're essentially. You're responsible for everything. There's no framework really in hardcore. I mean, there's been, you know, there's been labels that people have signed to and stuff like that, and they've been part of the team. And obviously, you know, we've run, um, been part of a label for <clears throat> for a long time. But there's no, because there's so little money in it, and there's so it's a small niche. There's not really an infrastructure like there is. Um, you know, I'd imagine now if you still, even the way things are, if you get signed to Sony, 
or you get signed to, I don't know, Polydor or something, there's a machine that you can go into and you're supported from every angle. Your social media is taken care of, your marketing's taken care of, your image, your photography, everything's taken care of. There's never any of that in hardcore. So you kind of, everything you need to know to get to where you want to be, you've got to learn yourself and you've got to perfect yourself. Um, and that, that takes time. Yeah, like Nick said, it's, you know, it, it, the music side of it, um, you know, I've, I'm happy with some of the older stuff that um, I've done or been involved with. But really, we said this last time, I, I, I'm only ever really looking back over the last 12 months. Anything before that, there's so many things I listen back to from years gone by fondly, but also with a view to like, ah, oh, man, I can't believe I did that. Why did I not do that? That's not properly mixed. That should have been done better. This could have been done better. You know, I think that's just the way everyone is, but... Um, yeah, yeah. it's all a learning curve and anything, isn't it like you, you know even with artists that do you know um, you know sort of drawing and things like that I'm sure they look back at stuff and they go oh you know that doesn't look as good as what I've done before but like you said we, we, for everybody you just get better as time goes you're constantly evolving constantly like talents and everything are constantly progressing and everything but what what advice would you give well this, this is mainly a personal question for me but like the new producers that are listening to this and obviously like I've said before you guys are hugely talented like you 2020 you guys were literally the hardest workers in the room there was nobody putting out more music than what you guys were putting out so what advice would you give to new producers that are just starting to get into the scene and like what's where, where should people start really it's a tough one actually because obviously there's a ton of resources out there i mean probably more than we can probably think of to be honest i mean um there is stuff out there. I, I think the key is really is to sit, sit back and enjoy it because i really enjoyed it when i was first starting out music as a kid like and doing stuff on basic equipment i mean i didn't even have like studio equipment i was using the like an old um Amiga 51200, I think I had at the time. <laughs> but I enjoyed it. I, that's the thing. I sat there. This is coming from the, the first point of doing music, like from yeah. beginning, beginners. Like, I just enjoyed it. There was nothing else. Like, I didn't bother. I wasn't focused on what people thought of the music or whether it was good enough to go out. It was just enjoying putting some music together that was, that felt like a song. Like, or felt like what I was listening to, like, from my favourite artist obviously not as good but <laughs> I just enjoyed it and you just did it and as time went on you started to pick up more things and you started to pick up this and you wanted to get oh, I, want to make, I want to make that kick sound better so I'm going to sort of see how you do that and it was a time allowing time and not sort of trying to become um, professional overnight I think a lot of people feel like they you know when they get into music that it has to be quick you have to like literally like oh I've got the software I've got all of the equipment now I'm going to have to write my biggest hit <laughs> and that's yeah. really difficult to do I think the best thing to do is real sit back and just enjoy writing yeah. you don't have to put up anything you really don't have to put up your first track you can just like put it in the background and listen to it on in your car or whatever but there will be a time and a place where it will just click and you'll fit. You'll you'll be. Re you'll know when you're ready. There'll yeah. be something that will just click, or or someone will come across your music and go, 
that's really good, mate. Yeah. Like, and you won't even have to ask them their opinion. They'll just go, that sounds really good. And you'll, you'll, it'll just click. But it's to give it time and enjoy the process, I, I would say, is the first thing I'd say. Yeah. And also, <clears throat> from um, looking back on um, sort of the way I've done things over the years, I would say one of my regrets is that I perhaps didn't... I allowed myself to... Um, convinced myself that things were where I wanted them to be when I think I knew inside that they probably weren't and I allowed time constraints and I'd sort of say to myself oh you know you've done what you can with this now time to move on to the next project and actually sometimes I knew that things weren't quite how I wanted them to be and they weren't quite the standard that I wanted them to be and I let them go out anyway and those are the things I don't like um you know, don't try and run before you can walk. Like Nick said, enjoy it, but also, you know, spend the time on things. Like, don't let yourself be um, uh, feel pressured into kind of getting stuff finished or getting stuff out there when it's not ready to be finished. Yeah, I think I think for me that's one of the hardest things. I'm just like, oh, in my head I've got this idea, but I don't know how to get it down on a like even if it's just something as simple as just like writing a little pattern or something like a little MIDI pattern, I'm like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, let's say if anyone out there is going through the same struggles that I'm going through of trying to make music, then I think as Frax and Darwin just said, it takes time and enjoy what you're doing. And and, and half the battle is the fact that you can hear the idea. I mean, the, the fact that you can hear the idea is the first step. The next step is trying to get that idea and put it down. And obviously, mm. you know, that's a learning curve where you can have to learn the equipment or learn the process to put it down. But that, again, like I said, that it comes with practice. And, yeah. You know, trying out. And, and sometimes the first time it doesn't work the way you want it to, it's not quite right. But the more you do it and the more music you listen to, you'll eventually know where things need to sit. You know, you don't have to be like a, a pianist to, like, do good music you know but you know knowing the, the the basics and learning of trial and error is also really really helpful yeah so yeah uh, and you and you will get there you know time is the key i think time has always been the key yeah. yeah i think hopefully over time i will i will hopefully learn and i'll hopefully be able to get something down but I mean, doing these podcasts and getting advice from guys like yourself, and I've got a couple of other guys lined up for the shows, so hopefully actually speaking to the people that, like I said before, I look up to and I respect, and yeah, I think... Well, working with lots of different people is another good thing as well, whether they're established or not. Like, just, you know, pop round to whoever's house for the day and try and make a tune with them, and even if it doesn't get finished, you'll find that you learn little bits and pieces here and there from everybody, little techniques for doing this and doing that, and you know we said this before but like you can you can be doing something a certain way for years and you'll see somebody just you know a little shortcut or a little just way of approaching a problem that you haven't thought of and all of a sudden that makes that area of production so much easier for you or you know and that helps like nick said there's a lot of resources out there but there's no substitute i don't think for sitting in a room with somebody else who's sort of about your level for the day and just cracking on and just enjoying writing the music and you'll you'll soon pick up little ideas from each other and you'll feed off it and as well yeah and the, and the thing is like and you can speak to any producer out there and they'll say exactly thing. you're never really truly happy with anything 
No, of course not. Like, no. that's, there's always going to be a niggling thing on yeah. every track, that, <laughs> and you can't get rid of it. And that, that probably is that other gene thing that we're, we're, you're probably talking about as well, is the other side of it, is that you're, you're never truly, truly 100% no. happy. It's almost like a little form of OCD, sort of. The only track we're ever happy with is the last one we've just finished. That's the only one we can say. And at that point, you're like, yeah, man, this is like, this is this is where we want it to be. But within six months, you'll have moved on and you'll have looked back at that and there'll be something. You've got to, you've got to, you know, it is a fine line between I'm never happy with anything ever and I hate a lot of my old stuff. But at the same point, you have got to move on as well. You've got to learn when to when enough is enough with certain things. Otherwise, you will just, you'll only produce one track every five years and you'll be, you know, You'll overthink it. A lot of the time, it's not. Um, you, you, you can only do so much with something. Just work. Don't feel like you've cut any corners. And, work and hard. Do, and, and listeners do enjoy the the progress an artist makes. There's no denying. I enjoyed the progress of my favourite artists and watching them over the years grow. You know, you look. You, I, I like listening to people's music change, and yeah. I like to see their music turn into something that I wasn't even expecting, you know, I like to see the quality just suddenly going, oh, that guy's done so well. You know, we get it We get it when we hear people that, you know, we're watching in the scene, like, sort of coming up, you know. You know, I, I don't want to pick names because obviously, like, you know, I don't want to leave anyone out, so it's best not to say. Ah, uh, well, that, that, that was going to be my next question. I was going to say what guys, and I hate this term up and coming because nobody's up and coming, everyone's talented. Can be used as a bit a stick to beat people and... Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're just an up and comer. No, you're working hard and you're getting shit done and your music sounds good. Again, it's art. Music is art. I, I sometimes feel a bit weird, and I've said this before, I feel a bit weird giving, like, telling people what I think of their music because it's not really me to say at the same, at the same time. I mean... You know, art is something personal. Yeah. It's something that we all do in different ways. And, you know, I know music has, you know, it has certain standards of production that they need to be at, but also, you know, it, it, it can be whatever it wants to be. You know, someone might like one track and someone else might hate it, you know. It's, it's like it's like that, really. And so when someone says, oh, what do you think of this track? It's like, well, what do you think of the track? Do you like it? Yeah. <laughs> like I mean, you can give your advice, you know, up to a point in terms of somebody asks about specific production things. I can say whether it's, you know, whether I would have done it differently in this respect or that respect. And if there's something that's sort of clearly musically wrong, I can say, um, you know, oh, for me, this bit doesn't work musically or whatever. But... You know, it's it's hard to say because if somebody send, somebody can send you something that's perfectly well produced and perfectly written and it can do absolutely nothing for you, but that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it because there's stuff in the top ten that probably does absolutely nothing for me, for me musically. And yet there'll be some, you know, random little tune that some dude has sent, um, you know, that's had ten plays on SoundCloud and I'll just there'll be a little bit of that melody that just really, like, clicks with me. And then you, so, like Nick said, it's, it's hard... To a point, you can you can give a bit of technical advice, but who are who are we or who's anyone to say what another person's art is or isn't? You know whether it is or isn't any good because it's you know to a, it's got to be it, it's got to be what they want it to be. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. It comes down to a person who's writing it and everything like that. And like you said, as long as you're happy with it yourself, then like I, oh, actually, I remember and taking it back to Gamer like. Oh, 
you should probably tell by the way I speak about him, I was a huge Gamer fanboy, but I remember there was this little segment on his Instagram, and it was just, it was just a couple of notes that were sellotaped to the wall above his studio, and it was, it was something like, write what makes you happy, enjoy what you're doing, and don't worry about getting it signed, and it was just those, like, three little sentences, and I think, yeah, if you just stick by them and just do what you enjoy, then... Yeah, I think um, it's it's a weird. Um, it's a, again, it's a sort of balance between things. Like obviously, you don't want to go too um, far left. We can only speak from like ah, you know. Put it this way: we, we can't. If we sat there writing for a Hardcore Heaven album and we know that's what it's for, we're not going to do, you know, fifteen experimental breakbeat tunes with no vocals because I know that that's probably not a smart commercial decision to make. But at the same point, yeah, I think if you do go too far the other way and you try to get something signed or you say, right, I'm going to write something that this person is going to like, I think you've already lost the battle at that point because you've kind of, you're not writing for the right reasons, you're writing to please somebody else. And ultimately, like, I think whilst we do want to have tracks that work, most of the time we kind of write stuff that we ourselves like, don't we? That's kind of where our ethos is, you know? I think I don't know. Could could you write something that you don't enjoy? I mean, would that e- even if you were writing something for? That's actually. I don't think I've ever heard had anyone ask that question before because, mm. like, is is it possible? Because regardless of like, if if you're if say for instance I got you guys to ghost engineer a track for me, and I said I want it to sound like this. I want this vocal, and you're like, oh, I don't like the vocal. I don't like. The style of hardcore that he's maybe going regardless of what happens you're still going to incorporate some elements that you're going to enjoy are you so yeah it's hard to put something down that you don't your mind doesn't come up with that you don't like that's weird like i don't think that would ever happen i don't think i even even when we're doing engineering and stuff and we're predominantly taking a lot of the um, creative side in it um it, it is pretty much what we would enjoy as well. So I don't know what that would feel like to do something. I don't know, is that possible to do something that you just don't feel? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it is. I, I generally think it would be impossible to write something that you don't actually like. You'd end up changing it in a way that would make it a sort of acceptable version for you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. just even if it's just like, OK, I can tolerate this. You're you're still going to enjoy it to a certain aspect, are you? Yeah. It's hard because I we both really like all sorts of styles of music. So to be honest, yeah. I've never really been asked to engineer anything that I've hated. I've 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 had to do songs. I'm um, talking about the computer game stuff. I've had to do like pop songs and stuff that I've just thought are awful before. <laughs> and they they've you know they've just asked for like technical work to be done on them and they're they're really irritating and you don't like the lyrics and this that and the other but even then you still end up just focusing on the job and you still do you still mix mix them and add elements that you like that you think make that vocal less awful so <laughs> you're sort of, yeah i don't know it's hard can you you could probably inadvertently make something as a joke that somebody else would really like just by pure chance or whatever but i don't think you can sit there and craft something that you aren't feeling i don't think i don't uh, think it's possible but as we 
progress. I mean, we've been talking for a long time. This is actually a great little segment, and I hope we've recorded this time. <laughs> yeah, we have. Don't worry, I can see the waveforms. <laughs> but we did this last time, and I've changed some of the questions about this is just the little segment that I like to do for the radio show. This is this or that, if you are up for getting into it again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So quick fire, and we'll keep it, keep it going. So, what was the first hardcore track you guys ever heard? It's got to be Prodigy Tune. Um, I'd say it might have been Horns of Jericho. Oh, yeah. Nice. Hardcore, hardcore, hardcore. Uh, yeah, it was it was sort of rave stuff. Um, I think the first kind of proper like live DJ set I had, I think it started with um, Renegade Snares, the Omni Trio track. Yeah. Um, yeah that's a that. But that's not really a hardcore tune. It had kind of all sorts on there. There's loads of old basement stuff, Edge Number One, and all that on there. The first like happy hardcore tune I guess I heard was by a Dutch band called Pulp Shock, because I just loved happy hardcore, and I went and bought this CD in HMV um, in Wolverhampton. It was Happy Hardcore Fever, and it was uh, like a, just a, a mix CD, vibes mix CD, and it started with this tune. And it was like that was the proper full-on vocals and pianos and stuff, and I was like, "Whoa, what's there's this?" Quite a few, isn't there? There's, quite, there's so many tunes. There's things like Slipknot, Hear Me, I remember, and all that really well. And there were big tunes when I was in secondary school, and um, there was Brisk, Airhead, and yeah, um, you know, Raver's Choice One. There's so many tunes as well. You know that just. I, I don't think there would be one that I could if I could I mean that, the only reason why I said that track is that sort of the earliest what you know I can think of way back that I always memory yeah. yeah so next one is if it wasn't for Happy Hardcore what style of music do you think you guys would be predominantly making I know you dive into a bit of everything but what would be your main focus we couldn't do hardcore if it didn't exist or anything like that. Everything else existed. It'd probably be trance and or drum and bass. I would have thought. Yeah, I think it'd be some combination or both of them. Yeah. And if you guys could collaborate with anyone, doesn't have to be in the hardcore scene, but it does have to be to make a hardcore track. Who would it be? Damn, that's hard, really. Say Fracas and Darwin is an easy get out a jail free card. I would say if what so we're doing this as a fracas and Darwin versus somebody tune. There's, there would be hundreds of people that we'd love to work with. Yeah. I think what would be really interesting though would be someone like High Contrast, who's not a million miles yeah. away from the breakbeat stuff that we do. Oh yeah. With the, he's got a lot of kind of love for the '90s sound in there as well. So I think if we could coax somebody like him to do a hardcore version of what he already does, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. I know it'd be quite cliche, and I know it'd be lots of people say, but I, I don't think. Like it would, I, I think it's something with Darren Styles would be good because it's something. It's an un, it's, it would just be unpredictable. Yeah. Yeah. Not predictable at all to see um, Darren Styles and a Fraction Army tune. It would, it, it would be. People wouldn't expect it, but it wouldn't be out of like base, out of out of the place. It would be actually quite sort of interesting. Yeah, yeah. and he's a very good songwriter and very good musician as well. So I think it'd be interesting to sort of. Crossed my mind quite a few times, you know, whether we might just go email him to see what he says. Yeah. <laughs> we have done, we have done this year. We've done a few more than than we did before. We were very much sort of like in our little bubble for a while, but we've done a few more bits and pieces. Uh, we did a track with Searle last year, which is uh, yeah. came out as a good kind of 
hybrid of both our sounds, I think. And we've got a single out at the end of this month with June, the, the German guy. Um, and that's sort of quite a hybrid of both of our sounds as well. So it definitely, it's, it's quite interesting to see what you do. But yeah, I, I couldn't pe- pin it down. Darren would be great. High contrast would be great. But there's literally 100 yeah, people. Yeah, I'll list, I'll list a mile long. So next one is, what's your favourite venue or even event or promoter to play for? That's, that's hard as well because there's big and small ones as we like, and mm. <laughs> I, I, I used to enjoy. I, I mean, I enjoyed the O2 down in Bournemouth quite a bit when we played there, and, and but I think that's mainly because we played there quite a lot. Yeah, got used, to, accustomed to sort of playing and knowing that it's going to be really good. I mean, obviously the Emporium's really, really good. The Rose United, um, there's obviously West West. Uh, although they've changed the rooms on on um, twice, I think um, since we've been playing there, we, we were in one room and the other. They're both good. Um, and there was quite. Do you know what? There's one that I forgot. It was that three 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 live thing in LA? I really really liked. Oh, that was the one in the city centre, wasn't it? In downtown. Yeah. 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 That was where they did HCID USA. The first one. Yeah. And I thought that was really really good. So, next one, I don't want to cause you guys to split up with this one, but out of Fracas and Darwin, who's the biggest diva? <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 can't, I, I spend a lot of time, I, I do like my clothing and stuff. I, I'm not like one of these weird sort of like sort of people that are on the internet and stuff. I, I, I do get, I spend a lot of money on clothes. I think Nick's definitely the cooler, but in terms of like stroppy kind of, I'm not putting up with this. That's probably more me. Yeah, I don't. I don't even recall anything like that. Like we've never really been like that at all. No, but then I don't think like you're. I just think you're a little bit more chilled. Maybe I get wound up by things, or you certainly used to get wound up by things a little bit easier. Like if I felt like you know, we were. Um, if people tried to change our set time or something like that, it would be me that would be angry and would ring people. And I generally, I don't think like not in a diva-ish way, but just I, I was always very protective. If I felt like anyone was trying to mess us up or sabotage us in any way, I would always be the one that would be immediately go off on the wrong. Whereas you're a little bit more considered and sort of maybe not jump to conclusions quite so badly. You do the right thing. I just like 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 sort the background. <laughs> well, no, 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 I don't think that. I just think I used to be a bit hot. I don't know. We just kind of went through a period where it felt like um, everyone, not was everyone was out to get us, but just, I don't know. It just seemed very hard sometimes to get the right set times and things would quite often, we would always be like last in line to to get certain things. And it just, yeah, it used to get a little bit um, tetchy about that. But that's luckily sort of, with age, you kind of learn to chill out and just sort of do your thing a little bit more. Yeah. And next one is, who's the worst behaved on a night out? I don't think mm. we've ever been like that. We've definitely been smashed, I know that. <laughs> yeah. We're not actually... We're, I don't think we're... Um, we're not sort of trouble, really, are we, when we've had a beer? We just end up laughing and then going to sleep. where we were, but because I, I don't think... It, it matters anyway. I don't think anyone like we're basically abroad, and I think we got pretty 
pretty shit face, can I swear? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, there was at one set where we were pretty both gone, and I, I remember saying to Gaz, I couldn't steal. <laughs> I do remember that, yeah. <laughs> So gone, I couldn't steal the, the CDJs or the mixer. I was touching it, but there was no steel in there. And I was, uh, that was funny. Yeah, I can't. I, I don't think I said I don't think I can mix. <laughs> yeah, I remember he just turned around to me in the middle and said, "I can't feel my hands." That was funny. That was funny. Um, yeah, that was um, that was weird. That was when we were in. I won't say where, but we were in Europe somewhere that night, and it was. Um, we got put in a hotel where there were no staff and they just yeah. email you like a code to get into the hotel so there's no reception or anything like that and they just left us there with a ton of alcohol yeah and they said oh we'll come back in we'll come back in three hours and pick you up pick you up yeah and pick you up and then we just got oh we'll just drink it and we were just <laughs> we were obliterated we just sat in the room didn't we I think we just put the telly on and just sat and had a drink after it and then all of a sudden it was three hours later and we were hammered and they came to pick us up Oh dear, that's funny. And then they still, still took us to the venue and still piled drinks into us and it was yeah. time to go on. And <laughs> it was literally like I've, I've never felt so sort of out of control really, but you know, hey ho. You know, there was one in, um, there was one in, in one of the HTRDs as well way back in Spain where me, you, Obi and a few other people, we went to a bar before our set and that ended up getting out of hand as well. And luckily, obviously, actually, if you listen back to the set, um, we we somehow managed to pull it. We're, we're both quite good at autopilot with the DJing thing. Yeah. But Obi, like, you can hear him slurring. I said, who wants to make some noise? And you're just that, like, that, yeah. That, that was the night. I, we won't say much, but that was the night when there was altercation with uh, Obi and Enemy. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they nearly had a, a ding-dong on stage, didn't they? It's just something used. One of them said something. Oh, dear. Funny, funny times. Next up, PlayStation or Xbox? What's your go-to console? Uh, I'm a PlayStation man. Yeah, PlayStation all day. Next one, Next Generation Records or Blatant Beats? What was... Damn, there was some good records actually on base, but I know Blatant Beats was their more sister label. Yeah. Um, I think we ended up doing tracks for both in the end, didn't we? Yeah. Um... Well, obviously, people would say next gen, wouldn't they? Obviously, next gen. Yeah, next gen was the one. That was that was the first track I had on there. Was on that that side of it, and I just I always thought their artwork was just cut above everybody else's. I just liked the image of it all. They they always presented yeah. themselves really well online. They, had, they were the first ones, first label in hardcore that I came across that had like a proper cool website and a forum, and like they used to yeah. do little newsletters and all that. Next gen, definitely. Pizza Hut or Domino's? What's your go-to? Oh, damn, I, don't, I you know I don't actually often have like Pizza Hut or Domino's, but if I if I have had it in well when I've had it, I'd say I think I'd say Pizza Hut. To be honest, well, it used to be. I don't think it'll be a thing anymore. But the all you can eat salad in Pizza Hut was the one. MCs on a DJ set, yes or no? Yeah, do you know what? I, I, these are meant to be quick fire questions, but they all end up. Actually, you know, MCs, a good MC on a, on a set is really good. Yeah. I think that yeah. MC can make or break a set, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, definitely. Same with the DJ, isn't it? You can have a great MC and, and, and a DJ sort of spinning really sort of 
you know, it's not very dancehall friendly tunes and it still would get ruined, wouldn't it? So. Yeah. Quash records are warped science. I better say warp science because I think I had a release on that. Yep, you did. I would say warp science for that. And next one is what's what was your first job? Out of school, out the doors, what was the first line of work you guys got into? I worked in a chippy. <laughs> I actually worked in a record shop. I had a part-time job um, when I was at college in a record shop. And then um, when I went to uni, I carried on doing that part-time. And then when I finished uni, I sort of just... Before I got my first, like, office job, which I didn't stick for too long before I went to do music, I, I just worked in a record shop for about eight or nine months. Um, and that was actually really cool. It was crap money, but it was... Um, I was around music all day. Yeah, and it just, in the end, it, the first, I worked in a few, I worked in three different shops. Um, the first one was like, was really kind of happening and it was quite a big one and quite busy and um, so you spoke a lot, but as time went on and the kind of record shop world disappeared, it got very quiet. Um, so towards the end of that, I just used to sit and play championship manager every day. <laughs> <laughs> I try and get all my work done in the first hour label all the new releases out, just sit in the shop and wait for people to come in and just play Championship Manager. Wicked. And a follow-up to that, if you guys weren't making music for a career, what would you guys be doing with yourself? Loads of things. I'm, I'm interested in astronomy. I don't know whether that's going to would lead to a job. <laughs> but, I don't know. I probably would be, you know, doing something, you know. Just, just sitting, gazing up into the stars. <laughs> all the things I'd, all the other things I'd like to do were all really, they're just like music. They're just really difficult to get. Like I've always liked writing and um, sort of creative writing and yeah. stuff like that. But realistically, I'd probably just be like, I don't know, selling, selling window frames or something like that. Would we just all be on the dole if it wasn't for music? <laughs> I wouldn't be on the dart now. I'd definitely be going. I'd be definitely doing something, but I just, um, I don't know. It's quite hard. I, like Nick, I can't imagine life without music. And even if I didn't do it for a living, I would still be writing it and I'd still be making it. I will always make it. Whatever happens going forward, whether we can continue to do this forever or whether one day. I think music. I think doing even doing. I mean, I, I, I'm going to do. I like you know, hardcore music. I'll probably do until it doesn't exist anymore. I can't imagine not doing it, even when I'm an old, old man. Yeah. I probably will be still making it. But yeah, but even if it's just for each other, even if I just make tunes yeah. to send to Nick and back. <laughs> the thing is, you said there, you'd still make it up until the point that it doesn't exist. But if you're still making it, that means it still exists. Yeah, so that, it'll, it'll be until I'm not able to do it anymore, which yeah. is be at the end. <laughs> Next one is going back to pair. We spoke about this earlier. Pairs, Frax and Darwin have always been a pair. People that I always knew as a pair were Styles and Breeze or Sign Unknown. Who, who was your favourite out of the two of them? Um, out of those two, I, 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 if I had to pick out those two, I did like Breeze and Styles. Um, Styles and Breeze I think, yeah, I think. I mean, they're both both um, yeah. got a, a great load of work and good tracks behind them but I think when I think Styles and Breeze really were they they absolutely 
hit upon a new sound that really kind of worked and that that was sort of the rebirth of that era really so 2001 2002 so yeah big fan of people like um, brisk and ham as well were really really good yeah yeah yeah. so there's been lots of combos that have have done like really well over the years you know so yeah definitely definitely those four particularly were really good even force and stars when you go back to their old yeah really good 100 percent you know, so, and obviously fine and known have been consistent over the years, you know, from the 90s up until sort of the sort of late 2000s, so, you know, they were very consistent, so. Moving into the next, the last two questions of this segment and the entire show, actually, pretty much. If you could have any superpower, what would it be, and would you use it for good or evil? Good. If I have power, if I, you know, if so much, if there is a lot of evil in the world. If I have the superpower, it'd definitely be for good and do something. I don't know what. Though. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I try, I try and be good, but I don't know what I would do. Um, I don't know. I think time travel would be my biggest one. So I could go back and be like, oh, right, this tune made it big, so I'm going to make this before they make it. <laughs> you got the you got the chance to go back and alter history, but you go back and write Heart of Gold before Force and Styles have a chance instead. <laughs> like, as much as I wish I'd written that track, I'd be quite low down my list of priorities of things to change about history. I don't know. I'd, I'd be travelling back in time, buying like mint condition white label records and everything like that, coming back up into 2020 or 2021 even and putting them on Discogs and seeing how much I can make from Why it. bother? Why bother when you can just go back and just put money on horses that you know are going to win? Like, just <laughs> spend the day, just go and go and Google, like, all you know, who won the Grand National and, like, work out what accumulator you get if you got first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh, and eighth, all in, all correct. And then just go back in time to the day before that race happens and just put a grand on that. Boom. You'd be set. <laughs> you can go deep, you can go really deep, like the time machine, and you would try and stop people from getting hurt. You know, people that have been, you know, murdered. And stuff. I know it's quite. Deep. Go back and kill Hitler's the one, isn't it? That's what everybody always says. Go back and kill. There might be, you know, on a on a hat, you know, sort of musical note. You know, I'll probably go back in time, win the lottery, and then come back. You know, just find, yeah, try and win the lottery use that money to invest it in our that's what I probably would do yeah. yeah we've always said haven't we if we won the lottery we'd we'd, we'd put on events and just do yeah. stuff for the music if, literally if, even if I won the lottery like now and I won it tomorrow I would probably 100% invest it in the music 100% I wouldn't mm. just go right that's what we've done now I'm just like, <laughs> not making music anymore and I'm just going to sit back and do. I would literally invest it I'd, I would actually try and make the genre the biggest genre the biggest it's ever been I think that just sums up what Frax and Darwin are all about, really. Like, you guys are just... These are constantly pushing new talent and constantly not trying to just better yourself. And I, I actually said this in the last time that we did this, but you're not bettering yourself, you're bettering the hardcore scene as a whole altogether. That's kind of what we've always wanted, though. We just wanted the scene to thrive. That's all we want. Mm. We want it to be... We want it to be not just good for us but good for everybody we want the ravers to be like you know excited and like 
about it all. Um, we want the, the DJs to all be doing really well. We want the artists to be all doing well. We want the promoters to have rammed events, all of them, every single one of them, week in week. That's what we want, you know. We don't, there isn't like this, like, oh, it's all about us or it's all about... No, you kind of want to be part of something, you know. Yeah. That's that's. We want this music to be there, up there, with all the other styles of music. We want to be able to turn around to drum bass and go, "You might be big, but we're fucking big too." Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. You want to turn around to house music and go, you know, with all of those guys, you know, doing all their big events, and go, "Look at our event, mm. look at our artists, look at our, you know, labels and stuff like that." That's what we want from it. And I think just the way that you say it there, it's look at our. Whereas a lot of other people that I've spoken to in the past would be, look at my, like just just that mentality alone from you guys is just fabulous. Like it's it's amazing. There is no we we don't exist without the music. So no. like it doesn't matter how well we do. If the scene doesn't do well, then no one does well. Exactly. So in the end, it's all about the music, and it's always been about that, really. You know, so and there's lots of people out there who who have that same mentality you know in, you know and we we just want to kind of like do do the best we can for the scene because in the end it just benefits everybody yeah so speaking of the scene this is the last question of this or that both you guys if you could lastly describe happy hardcore or uk hardcore just describe hardcore in three words euphoric energetic fun say. right guys thank you very much for coming back on the show and as we said last time you've unwillingly provided episode one of chat and shit with double drop I guess no worries we could sit and chat shit for far too long unfortunately yeah it's, it's it's been a great chat but coming up next for the radio show obviously for guys that are listening at home this is going to be in two segments. If you want to hear the longer, uncut, unedited, raw interview with me, myself, Drax and Darwin, check out my podcast and check out my social medias for all that, and you can find it there. But coming up next for the radio show, now we have your guest mix. For the guest mix coming up, please let people know what tracks should they look out for in this mix, and is there any exclusives in there? Um, it's just basically a lot of what we've been doing in the last six to twelve months. Um, yeah, it's it's a sort of cross section of all the bits and pieces that we do. It's quite hard really to fit everything because we've written so much music in the last year. Um, it's quite hard to fit it into a sort of uh, a mini mix like that. But um, no, just enjoy it all, and you know it, most of it is out there now. So you know if you do enjoy it, go and check out the other stuff that we haven't managed to fit in as well. Hundred percent. And before we before we close up here actually one question i haven't asked is what's in store for the rest of 2021 from you guys what can we expect from you releases anything like that hu podcast whatever you've got coming out give it a plug in the podcast is definitely going to happen this there's going to definitely be more podcasts but we have got a few um album projects that are going to be dropping soon I mean, it's more the same in 2021. We're going to be writing more music. Um, hopefully, when things start opening up, there'll be, you know, us on the road again. Um, but, yeah, it's pretty much going to be more the same. It's just keep writing music and keep pushing new music and keep pushing what we're doing and, you know, whoever else is doing stuff out there as well. Yeah, definitely. 
just keep just keep trying to progress from where we are now to what we you know where we want to be that's just that's what we'll be doing and you know podcasts albums releases um studio that's just what we do so we'll just be carrying on with that i can't wait to see what else is to come from you guys as i've said before i'm a huge fan so the only thing that's left to do is could you please introduce your guest mix for the hardcore takeover i'm fracas i'm darwin and this is our guest mix for the hardcore takeover with double drop
Planet compares to it, don't you agree? 